0: Welcome to Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town from the world's number one poker community. Hey everyone, I'm your host, Robbie Straczynski, and thanks so much for joining us on episode number 35 of Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town. Our guest today is one of the premier mental game coaches, not just for poker, but he's also worked with clients in the sports, esports, and corporate worlds as well. In the poker world, he's written not one, but two of the premier books about off-the-felt preparation with The Mental Game of Poker, Volumes 1 and 2. Plus, he recently expanded his written repertoire to the financial world with The Mental Game of Trading. Jared Tendler, welcome to the Card Stand Podcast.
1: Robbie, good to be here. And uh, I suppose with your tagline of being the friendliest podcast in town, we've got the friendliest Man and poker, so you've got the the perfect host for the perfect podcast.
0: I appreciate that very much. It's funny. We were talking just before we went on air. I was like, "You're familiar with with uh, cards chat, right?" And you, you told me something pretty interesting.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, card chats was uh, my roots. So you know, when I started in poker in two thousand seven, two thousand eight, uh, you know, stocks poker was kind of where I started producing videos. You know, but I had a I had a thread on on card chat and was, you know, asking a lot of or answering a lot of questions for in the in the forum and, you know, certainly know Debbie well. And so, yeah, I mean, card chats uh, kind of bring me back to my roots here.
0: Pretty cool. That's that's great. And uh, we're really glad to have you on the show. So, OK, first of all, that's to allay your fears. Don't worry. We'll talk about your new book. Buy the book, buy the book, <laughs> buy the book. But we'll do that a little bit later in the show. I want to start off first with a Mazel Tov, congratulations on, uh, you know, that your first book, The Mental Game of Poker, it recently celebrated its 10th anniversary uh, of its publication. So congratulations on that.
1: Um, thank you, thank you. It's yeah. a, kind of an inauspicious timing because it's also Black Friday's it's, anniversary. So here exactly, we go.
0: Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and and we know recently there was like a ton of stuff out, you know, in poker media. Um, you know, we were commemorating you know ten years since then. You know, you having put all of your focus and efforts into this new book. You know, ten years, it's it's still around, which is incredible. But and, and you know, obviously serving the poker community well till today. But I'm curious. You know, maybe you could kind of take this back to that time in your shoes, like, you know, you're all excited, poker's like at its peak, and then all of a sudden, Black Friday, what does that mean for you and getting out there with your first publication?
1: Yeah, it wasn't fun, we'll say that <laughs> much. Um, you know, I'd say like on a personal level, so I had also, you know, just kind of recently met my now wife, um, you know, invested, you know, a pretty substantial portion of my net worth into <laughs> the actual production of the book. Oh,
0: right, because was still pretty good. right.
1: Yeah, self-published and I, you know, I, I wanted to do it right, right? So, you know, kind of getting the right people involved, um, you know, isn't free. Um, so, you know, but I still, you know, I think it was a very calculated bet. My break-even point was not crazy. Okay. So um, risk of ruin was not there, but um, yeah, I mean, you know, we'd kind of finished up the book, uh, had started a presale um, on April 14th, 2010 um, or 2011, excuse me. Right. And, um, uh, you know, I, probably had sold 170 copies, you know, the day before leading up. And, um, I was actually on a, um, on a client call between, I, I want to say like, you know, noon and one o'clock or like 11 AM and, and and noon. Uh-huh. And, uh, I got off and kind of, you know, usually the first thing was go back to my email and just like, see, you know, the little dings of, you know, sales coming through the website. And there right. were, there were none. I was like, huh. <laughs> OK, so I go back on back onto Skype and all of a sudden, like I just see like, you know, 40 messages of, you know, the world is falling. Um, so, yeah, you know, the the, you know, heart drops into the uh, the floor and, um, you know, super stressful uh, for for obvious reasons. And and also, you know, crazy. You wasn't really sure what was going on. Um, I will say that uh, I'll, I'll give Barry, Barry Carter, you know, some props because, you know, I think. I, I, kind of falsely had this assumption. It was like, all right, like if you build it, they will come sort of mentality with, with the book. And, and so he kind of immediately came up with the strategy of like, we just need to sort of pivot and not worry about the book and just kind of, you know, help the poker community right now and just lay it aside and not even worry about it. Um, and I, it was a smart, it was a smart decision. I, mean, I think it, it kind of engendered a sense of community, um, helped me kind of, uh, get more connected to the poker community. Cause I, I think at that point I still was st- still fairly unknown. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, stocks, poker community knew me well, because I think beyond that it was still small. So, so yeah, I mean, we, we came up, we wrote this like massive, uh, blog post of, uh, you know, trying to assail the fears of the poker community. And, mm-hmm. um, I think it helped a lot. And, and yeah, I think from there things sort of eventually kind of reached some normalcy and, um, you know by the end of the year it was was uh uh you know I think obviously a lot of people left poker but enough remained right. and there was enough clarity as to what was happening that you know future wow. was not so bleak
0: what what a what a journey I mean you mentioned Barry Carter is a good friend of mine as well as the editor of uh, pokerstrategy.com uh he was the co-writer of your book or the uh, whatever what the official title is
1: uh yeah you I mean he was he was like my ghostwriter/ assistant writer like okay. basically I'm not good at just sitting down with a blank piece of paper. So mm-hmm. I would do dictation. He would kind of write it back. We'd kind of go back and forth until it was like structurally in a spot where I could kind of edit it. So, mm-hmm. and then also he was the, you know, the eyes and ears of the poker world to make sure right. that I was saying things that were relevant and, and, you know, didn't sound, uh, you know, too, too off.
0: Right. So that's an interesting point. Also, I'm curious kind of like, how you got hooked up with him to begin with, because you are not exactly coming from within the community. You're coming from, you know, from the golf world a little bit.
1: And it's not like he was my neighbor either, you know. Right, uh,
0: <laughs> right.
1: Yeah, some, you know, uh, out in Sheffield, England, and I'm, you know, at that time in New York City. Um, no, so he and I got hooked up, um, I would say it was 2008, 2009. He had just contacted me, you know, working for Poker News UK. Um, wanted to do a series of of uh, you know articles, basically kind of becoming a client. So you know, if you know very well, he's always looking for free stuff, and you know, he wanted some free coaching. So here we go. Um, and so you know, we just kind of we got along well. I think you know, he kind of immediately understood my like the value of the coaching. He uh-huh. he just kind of got it. And at that time, I'm not sure that I started writing the book, but I was at least kind of beginning the process of it. Uh-huh. And after about six months of just kind of going around in circles, I just reached out to him. I was like, "Hey, you know, what do you think of this? And you know, would you be up for uh, for writing a book together?" And um, yeah, I don't remember his answer. I don't remember the conversation. I just, <laughs> <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but but it must have he must have said yes. So
0: interesting. Okay. Well, we said like you know it's been ten years, and you know you're still known for these books because they basically stand the test of time. Uh, why do you think that is?
1: That's a good question. Um, I mean, you know, the, the the nice part about like the mental game or psychology as, you know, as you compare it to like strategy books is, you know, it, there's not as much evolution to it, right? I think, I know we'll get to it, but the trading book certainly is an evolution just because I have I know more. But right. in terms of the material itself, um, yeah, I mean, I think a big part of what the value that I provide to my clients and I think is, is evident in the books is- you know, like a, a system or a method, a strategy for the mental game. Mm-hmm. Right? And that's why I like the term mental game, right? Cause it implies something that can't be solved. You mm-hmm. know, I know we're, you know, poker's kind of verging in that direction in a lot of degrees, but like, you know, the complexity of of our own minds is is not something that you're going to have permanently forever. That's why I don't like the term mindset. Um, you know, it's just, it's like a subtle difference, but so yeah, if, 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 and I think the ethos of the book is really about, you know, kind of giving people the tools to fish. Like I'm not just handing you fish, right. I'm teaching you how to fish. You know, and I think that that's a big part of it is it's, it's how you, how do you think and, and how do you understand how to like kind of problem solve for yourself? When I, when I first started creating uh, these videos for stock poker in 2008, you know, I, 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 I'm not exaggerating. I spent probably 600 hours, Trying to produce four to four and a half hours of actual uh, material, wow. and the main reason for that is because I went around and around trying to figure out how the heck I was going to communicate to a group of people who have massive built-in bullshit detectors, mm-hmm. right? I'm not yeah. going to be able to just like pull one over them. I can't just spout my normal, you know, uh, BS and and have it have it have it land. So uh, what I realized was that I needed to actually communicate a system and a strategy. And so what happened was this is like going through that video series was the beginnings of the book. It was me starting to articulate in in practical terms how I work with a client, not just here's advice but how you actually problem solve. And what happened is it was the beginning of my system and, and understanding some of the mechanics and the concepts that were key to that, right? And the people that know the book would be, you know it's like, we're talking about the adult learning model we're talking about the concept of inchworm. Yep. We're talking about you know injecting logic and resolution and you know this malfunctioning mind where the emotions shut down higher brain function. So there's like the beginnings of that foundation was formed. You know, in trying to produce these videos, interesting that with that had that ethic of okay, listen, I'm not gonna, I can't, I, I don't know this industry well enough. So here, you know what, I'm gonna teach you how to help yourselves. Mm-hmm. And I think that is what the book ends up kind of communicating is a sense of like, okay, here's the problem I'm having and here's how I go about fixing it, not just like a piece of advice that you just like, there's
0: no there's no quick tips in there, that's the, that's the difference. Correct, right, it's a whole methodology, right? Yeah. Yeah, you that's know, funny because like, you mentioned inchworm, that was, you know, that actually leads into my next question. That's the one that really, really stuck with me all of these years since I've read the book. Um, and i found that it doesn't just reflect poker learning, but life learning. And I'll be very frank as well. This is something I even remember relating to my kids in in grade school of this concept of, okay, you know, why do you need to know multiplication and division? Because later on, you're going to need to know more and that stuff's easy, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Did you find that, and again, this is meant for the poker community, the mental game of poker, but did you find that you were getting that sort of feedback from people that it's sort of helping them well beyond poker as well as far as improving their lives?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think both poker players who were then doing maybe similar things as you were bringing it to their kids or bringing it to their, you know, their jobs, if they were, you know, a part-time pro, or maybe they were applying it to their, their goals with fitness or nutrition, you know, kind of understanding that, you know, there were going to be bad days, but if those bad days were systematically like less bad, that that is still progress, right? It's kind of an apples to apples, like my worst is getting better. And that's, that's helpful to kind of understand. So, yeah. And then of course, you know, traders started picking up the book, uh, you know, esport athletes started picking up the book. Yeah. Um, you know, I've worked with a radiologist at this point. So there's, you know, oh, wow. kind of lots of different, <laughs> lots of different people, um, you know, sports better is not, not surprisingly. Uh-huh. Um, but you know, I, I appreciate that. Cause I, you know, I'll, I'll, uh, yeah, I will say this publicly. It's not, you know, for massive p- public consumption, but, um, I, my, my plan is to write like an inchworm book, and oh. kind of blow the concept up out to more of a mass market audience. I think it's
0: nice. you know,
1: there's there's a very popular book called Mindsets uh, by Carol Dweck, um, and you know here I was railing against the term, but but okay. the book is the book is great because it what it does what it describes is the difference between a growth mindset and a fixed mindset. And fix fixed mindseted type people tend to view intelligence, um, you know, as either you know kind of a, a, like either you have it or you don't, or talent is either you have it or you don't. They don't necessarily kind of focus as much on the, the growth of the learning process. So they will have, you know, a harder time when they make mistakes, they'll have a harder time when they lose. And certainly I've, I've worked with a lot of people who have put in that category. But the thing is about her book, you know, she's a researcher, she's a, 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 an academic type and, and the book sort of falls short in terms of practicality. Mm. And, and I feel like Inchworm is kind of the, 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 the way that you can take kind of the brilliance of her work. And turn it into something that's a bit more practical to adults, right? Now, for kids, you teach them growth mindset. As a kid, they don't ever develop the bad habits that you know you and I did. Uh-huh. So it's a it's a great thing. And I've seen, um, you know, my 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 niece and nephew, um, they have had they're they're getting taught growth mindset, you that's know, from cool. a young age, which is amazing. Um, you know, for the rest of us, I think inchworm is the answer. So hey,
0: cool. Well, you, uh, you know, not for public consumption, but you guys heard the scoop here first on the cards chat podcast. So we got that. Um, so I have to ask Jerry, you, you know, you got, we, we talked about you hooking up with Barry and, you know, you're writing this book for the poker community, but you didn't come from the poker world. You come from the golf world. And I'm kind of wondering like, what is it that sort of like you said to yourself, okay, you know what, maybe maybe there's like, I don't know, this similarity, let's, let's get into poker, it's booming. And at the time it was, you know, we all know golf is a game where, you know, you see the professionals on the green, you know, make, you know, really the mental game is so critical where they've got to make that putt worth millions of dollars. You know, is, is that sort of a similarity you saw or it just happened into it? Or, you know, you always were like a, a home game shark and, and really wanted to, to do something, uh, you know, book-wise for the community.
1: Yeah, no, no. I mean, I had uh, poker was not on my radar really until, um, I met Dusty Schmidt, weather uh, oh, ass. Right. And, uh, you know, he was sort of my entry point into the poker world. So he was at that time, um, you know, I think trying to, I think, I think, yeah, I think it was the first year was like supernova elite was a thing. Right. And trying to make that kind of year long rake race. And, um, basically because he was trying to play so much poker, um, and he was also actually trying to do it in 10 months instead of 12, Okay. But he was having so much tilt that he was literally, you know, like ripping his desktop computer out of, out of the wall, smashing it, breaking mice, breaking monitors. Um, I mean, he paid for our sessions just in the savings of computer equipment within the first month. Um, (laughs) So, you know, he and I, I mean, at that point, um, he was making around 20 to $30,000 a month. And in the four months after he and I started working, he made 600 K now, of course, there's some variance involved, right? I'm not gonna take, but the bigger the bigger outcomes, and this is where the, the work really, is that he he was able to play that much more poker. He was able to actually mm-hmm. still get Supernova Elite in 10 months, you know, the, the tilt was relatively gone, or if it, it did show up, it was at such a low manageable level that it didn't affect his play, you know, or at least not, you know, too discernibly and it didn't affect his volume. So, you know, that was through the end of 2007 and then um, oh, so
0: you knew him through the golf world. I remember he used to be a golfer. Is that, that that's right? Of- yeah.
1: So he he used to he was, I think, at like 19. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to say he led like the Golden State mm-hmm. Tour in terms of like money. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he was yeah, He, he his his aspirations were, were like mine, which was to play professional golf. Mm-hmm. You know, he got derailed for health reasons. I got derailed because of my own mental game. <laughs> um, you know, but, uh, he, uh, yeah, so he knew, he knew golf really well. We actually met at, a, a you know, a, a kind of like a mutual golf trip, you know, there's like 12 guys, some coming from Portland where he lived, some coming yeah. from Arizona and California and, uh, yeah, just kind of randomly met. Um, so after the success that he had had given his relationship with stocks poker, um, he kind of made the introduction and, you know, this was like, at this point, kind of the beginnings of, of the online training you know, kind of platforms that were popping up. And, and uh, so, yeah, I was kind of like the first one to start producing content, you know, and and on one of those platforms. And um, yeah, I think because of my um, expertise in the psychology world, it was probably an easier transition, even though it was difficult to get a skeptical audience a to buy into the value of the mental game period, let alone from somebody who, you know, I mean, I listen, I played poker. I mean, it's not like I'm a, I don't know, you know, I wasn't like a, you know, Maria Kanakova who didn't even know that there were 52 cards in a deck when she first in, was introduced to the game. I mean, I played, <laughs> you know, AC Ducey and setback and, uh-huh. um, you know, lots of games growing up as a kid, you know, uh-huh. uh, but I did that while it was between golf rounds. Like we play 18 holes in the morning, you know, uh, gamble for, you know, nickels and dimes, uh, during lunch and then go play another 18. Uh, uh-huh. so yeah, that was my, my origin story here.
0: Interesting. Do you still uh, play a little bit of poker? Is that uh, part of your weekly or, or monthly repertoire? Uh, I wouldn't say
1: in this day and age, uh, given the COVID world. Um, uh-huh. But yeah, when when you know the problem is most of my friends don't let me play anymore. Um, you know, are you too do, good? They think I'm too good. I mean, they, they're <laughs> they're so bad they don't know that I'm bad. Also, I mean, uh-huh. I, I know. I mean, listen. I know the problem is it's like uh, you know somebody who watches like the the business channel all day and thinks they they know how to stock pick. Uh-huh. Um, you know, you become you know, you know enough to be dangerous and I I know enough to be dangerous uh-huh. to myself, not to oh. others.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's, so it's always mostly the home games. Do you you dabble in tournaments here and there, uh, you know, near where you live or you go out to the World Series to play once in a while?
1: No. No. Okay. I mean, I, I, the problem is I, I know I know too much. I mean, I know huh. how good the people are. Now, I would go for entertainment if I was going with my friends and we were going to go and have some fun with it. Sure, but um yeah, I mean, I, I I'm not plus EV in any of these things that I would enter in. So I'm going there. I would go there for the fun of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, especially now with a young family, sure, uh, it's, it becomes hard to rationalize. And the other thing is like, you know, if I'm going to spend my personal time, it's, it's usually gonna be on the golf course, right. Where I can, um, you know, go do what I do best. Nice. Um, so, you know, that, that it's, it's just like a kind of a, uh, a question of like, where do I put my time? Right. And, mm-hmm. and for the most part, other than when I first got in, I definitely played some online poker, you know, back in 2008, 2009 uh-huh. um, to really kind of understand the world and, you know, get a bit more educated on the lingo and what we were talking about here. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I basically spent my time getting better at my job, right? Getting uh-huh. better as a coach. And that that's that's what I love. Right. Um, so that, I still like poker. But
0: that, that's what yeah. I always tell my wife, Mary. I mean, every time I want to go to Las Vegas, I need to do research. Right. That's what exactly. it's all about. Right. <laughs> yes. And there's no other way to get it. Right. Exactly. Um, all right. So, you know, not only, you know, is your wisdom available through your books, but you've also had quite a lot of amazing testimonials uh, over the years. Only those who've sort of made it public, obviously, client confidentiality is so, so supremely important. But there have been a number of high profile successes. You know, you want to care to name drop a little bit?
1: Well, I mean, I the the, the fun ones were um that two of my existing clients made it to the main event final table in successive years uh with Jorah Van Hoof and Max Steinberg in two thousand fourteen and fifteen, respectively.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and then I did coach uh another one the following year, but he kind of came to me um afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um it, you know, I had number of World Series of Poker bracelet winners, obviously. Um, you know, Kristen Bicknell is, um has uh name dropped a few times. Uh-huh. Um who else? Um, yeah, I think those are kind of the big ones that I would okay. feel comfortable. I think there's there's probably a few other testimonials still on my, my website, but uh-huh.
0: yeah. Is there some sort of like a common thread that you find that you end up working with for these super high-profile players or it's each person really, it's, it's kind of like tailored to their particular issues they need to work on?
1: Yeah, it's very much tailored. I mean, I think... Hmm. There are common traits among them in terms of their work ethic, in terms of their uh, motivation and desire to excel and to be the best. Um, you know, their, their aspirations are massive, their talent is massive. Uh, so yeah, I think those traits are similar, but then like the what they need is different. I think one common thing if that's been happening has been, you know, a number of them uh, were just like kind of running bad or just like struggling to break through Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there are a few names that I can't name, but who, you know, for a couple of years, like believed that they were, you know, top five and and just like kind of weren't there um, because they just weren't either getting the cards or they felt like there was something off in their mentality. And just so, yeah, we were kind of just like kind of grinding through all that and figuring mm-hmm. out. But some some in some instances, I, I do feel like it was just helping them to deal with the bad run. It wasn't that. They needed to get that much better. It was just there; they just hadn't had their opportunity to, you know, get the cards at the right time. Um, and they needed to be patient and continue to, you know, uh, stay the course, so to speak. You know, because sometimes it's easy to start to think you need to do all like things dramatically different. You know, this is another reason why why inchworm is such an important concept at any level, right? You know, I think sometimes people, when they're in a period where they're running bad or they're struggling, they start to try to change too much and they kind of lose sight of the foundation of their own game and that leads them down in a direction where even if they find you know, like a valuable strategy, if it starts to go badly, right? So, you know, this new thing starts to work but then if it starts to go go badly, you're gonna feel more lost than you did when you first. So to me, the organic growth where you're always like at least eliminating the things that you know are fundamentally off in your game. And then on the front end of the inchworm, right? If you wanna be adding you know, different lines or different ways of thinking by all Mm -hmm. means do that, but you can't lose sight of, of your base in terms of how you play. Otherwise you're going to be going through and you need to understand what you're going through a massive rebuild, which is going to be more like what Tiger Woods experienced in 2002, Mm three, where he completely rebuilt his golf swing. And it took him two full years Uh. to get to the point where this new golf swing could be tested under major championship pressure without having to think about it. Mm -hmm. Right. So if you're going to do a rebuild of your game, just be prepared for what you're actually doing. But for the most part, you know, most people, what they need is is more of this sort of organic growth where yes, of course they're developing and improving, but they're doing so, you know, from a base of, of their own competency, not by saying oh like my game is just garbage let's scrap it and start start fresh
0: it's so funny because like part of me you know as the host i'm trying to like listen to the answer and, and cl- go along with the cadence of the show but part of me is also like i want to learn from this i want to remember i kind of want to take notes you know because like look, i'm not you know, no professional player what a session, so like, I, I get it this is, yeah but like look, like you said barry we love free stuff but you know what yeah. it's uh it's uh <laughs> these are pearls of wisdom uh, and, and it's funny like on a poker level like you're talking about with tiger woods it kind of reminds me of this period of time, I guess it was three, four years ago, uh, you know, the, the, one of the biggest names in the world, you know, Daniel Negreanu, right, where he had played for 20 years, this exploitative approach that had obviously served him pretty darn well. And then he goes and you see this new generation, the GTO high roller guys, and, you know, for whatever reason, it wasn't working. So he had to go ahead and in a sense, sort of also retool his game, hired his coaches, that sort of a thing. And, till he wrapped his head around the GTO concept and now can integrate it. But, you know, it's it certainly, um, you know, it, it's a similar type of situation to what you've mentioned. Um, you know, it just, it just finds it very interesting. You have um, a sense as to how long it took him to get through that? I, I, I think it was till he believed, I think when he was, you know, he's very public about everything. I think yeah. it said, he said it took him like fully a, a, at least six months. Uh, but you're talking six months where like, that's all he did was like was working on this on this game. Um, yeah. you know, yeah, and it's no like physical things you need to do, I guess, except like the one finger check. You know, that's very important to apparently <laughs> Um, well, one of the things that has happened, and we we've talked about this with a number of our guests, um, you know, over the last uh well, 30, this is episode 35, so 34, you know, uh episodes, um, the game of poker has gotten so much tougher, partially in 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 a, main reason actually is because people are putting so much time towards study and we all know you know back in the day they used to be just super system and that's it nowadays you've got you know your choice there's so many poker training sites out there that people like uh you know choosing from you know different fits for different people in the you know sort of the same way there's a little bit of a healthy competition these days among mental game coaches in the poker space um, what would you say that you know, Jared Tendler does differently or offers uh, methodologically uh, than other mental game coaches out there?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it could just comes back to the system piece. Um, like there's a difference between getting good advice on how to deal with certain situations and, there's, and then being able to actually like learn a system that you can then use to solve your own issues. Mm. Um, you know, At the end of the day, when you're sitting at the table, you have you, like, you you can't phone a friend, right? you're not going to phone your mental game coach, right? You, right? you have to be able to be ready to make the decisions and, and to be able to manage through the issues, you know, kind of on your own. And I'm not saying that other mental game coaches aren't preparing their players for that too. I'm just saying that my system is designed, I think, from the beginning to be able for you to be the one kind of in firm control. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it's it's a, uh, it's a challenge, I think, to be able to like work the process like that you know but if you're if you're willing to put the work in you know the the outcome uh i think is is much greater the other thing is that the system is designed to achieve resolution and and what resolution means is that you are actually solving the issue at, at its core right and and when i say issue right we're talking about tilt we're talking about fear we're talking about confidence issues those are just like symptoms or signals of the problem right they're not the actual problem The actual problem are these underlying performance flaws, Mm -hmm. right? High expectations or loses of control, you know, hatred of variance, um, hatred of mistakes. These types of flaws are what produce that emotional volatility. And so we're not trying to control or suppress those emotions, right? You are in the short term, right? So you can continue to play well. But in the long term, you want those things gone because if you are managing your mental issues or your emotional issues, you are consuming mental resources, yeah, to try to control and suppress those impulses, which means that you you now have less bandwidth to actually pay attention to the action, to learn what your uh, opponents are doing, to understand, you know, the ways in which they're playing or tells that they may be giving off, um, you know, whether that be timing tells on you know online. So resolution is such a key idea and concept because of of, of the, those those big moments where it matters most. And that was all born out of my own failure as a golfer in those key moments. Right. I, I tried to play professional golf, but the sports psychology that was available to me at the time was much more about management and control. Right. And so it helped. I got better, you know, at 95% of the time, except in those key moments where, where I would fail. And, you know, whether you're playing in a cash game, whether you're playing in tournaments, it's those big moments that have the biggest impact, right? Especially as a, a tournament player, you know, you're going to make. of your money from 20% of the events. And those are just the ones that you cash, right? So, you know, when you have the opportunity to really level up, you cannot rely on anybody else but yourself. And you do not want to have to be battling yourself at the same time that you're battling your opponents.
0: Yeah, I can can actually attest to that. You know, I hope you're okay with this, but I'm going to reveal something very, uh, very personal that, you know, I still remember to this day, you were kind enough to uh, take a little, a very short phone call from me uh, many years ago, back when I was... uh, was either going to or leaving Atlantic City, New Jersey, just on one of my trips from Israel. It's always a long haul. You can't just drive over. And um, I still remember it wasn't like it with the playing itself, but it was an issue of, you know, wanting to play so badly and wanting to succeed. And you were, you know, you, you had given me a really great piece of advice and asking me, you know, but why, you know, and like, you, you kind of like, it, it just attests to what you said. It gave me the tools to resolve this in my own mind of, well, if the point is just to enjoy and have fun, then focus on enjoying and having fun, not whether you win or lose necessarily. And it sounds so simple, but it it really is the truth. And and I do want to thank you very publicly for for giving me that piece of advice. It was a good one. Yeah, um, you're welcome. Thank but you. it, it, it sort of
1: proves proves the point, right? Like that yeah. you you just had sort of like mixed motivations. Yeah. And and you know, that's that's that sometimes these issues are easy to solve once you kind of get them in the light of day, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and, you know, for a lot of people, if they don't have a process for doing that, then they end up kind of like with too much kind of noise in their mind. And that noise, especially under, you know, the, the the bright lights of actually having to make decisions where your money and your future and your goals are on the line, they, they cause pain points and those pain points, you know, turn into fear or anger or confidence issues.
0: Absolutely. Um, What are some of the, stranger issues that players have approached you with over the years? Oh, man, that's a good question. Um, <laughs> well, I, you know, what? I, I guess
1: what I would say is that the the trajectory um, that has gone, I'd say probably since 2015, mm-hmm. um, I feel like the the poker players with the sort of prototypical tilt issues, I feel like the, they stopped kind of coming to me for coaching because they would read the book and that would kind of take uh-huh. care of it. The people that sort of showed up at my door – were the ones that had more complex issues. And a lot of times there was some, some kind of personal component to it. Like kind of as we dug into it, there were, um, you know, kind of unresolved issues, uh, you know, from their uh, previous, like let's say academic life hmm. um, or from, from uh, you know, sporting life, like, you know, kind of these hangovers of, of like a hatred of losing, mm-hmm. you know, that started when they were playing baseball or started when, um, you know, they would underperform in school. Uh you know, or the opposite, where they were underperforming in school and they didn't understand why they couldn't kind of get the motivation, uh, you know, or or to stop these procrastination issues. And it turned out that they've they've actually been practicing them for a decade. Um, So, yeah, I'd say less, you know, than sort of strange in that regard, more of just sort of, you know, kind of going back to a little bit of my training as a, you know, a a traditional therapist, Um, never with the intent to practice, but you know, what it ended up doing was like kind of becoming this like kind of intersection between these personal issues and how they would show up in poker sure you know so you, you take somebody with um, uh, i mean this is not the most common example right but um, had one client who you know was bullied as a kid mm. and so you know playing poker and now all of a sudden he's dealing with situations where, Ugh. you know, you have aggressive re-raising right. and, and would kind of alternate between like kind of cowering to it and then wanting to just like stand up shove over the top and, yeah. and fight back. And it just became, you know, sort of like poker sort of became <sighs> like an exercise of like trying to work through that issue. So we we sort of dealt with it on, on a personal level and then needed to kind of weave in those corrections so that he, you know, firmly understood that the person who was, you know, being aggressive, towards him was not personal it was you know that distinct from uh from himself on a personal level and it was just about him as a poker player and being w- you know weak in certain ways as a poker player right is a is a is a fundamental reality and and embracing that and understanding that you know became part of kind of the the reconciliation process for him on a personal level and a poker level so here here was like a, a, a kind of a beautiful example where right. like he was truly kind of cross-training and like being able to you know resolve these these deeper issues you know through the game, which I think is super cool. When when you yeah. can, you know, have poker be something that, you know, helps you on a personal level, it's 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 pretty special.
0: Sure. It's definitely fascinating. I'm sure it must make you feel good also that you know you're you're reaching a little bit beyond just, you know, having him, you know, add more chips to his stack. So that's Absolutely. pretty cool. Um here's kind of like a, a two parter. Um, what would you say has been sort of like the most difficult issue? or something like that, that you've had to help a client overcome. And the second part of that, perhaps, you know, when it gets a little bit too personal, you kind of, maybe you say to yourself, maybe I'm not the right person to assist you. And and you have to kind of refer them forward to, i do not more of an expert, but an expert sort of in a more personal behavioral psychology, you know, type of field or something. Has, has that ever happened? Or has there been like a, a, a truly tough case?
1: I mean, so the, the last case that I think was like, For me unsolvable you know is is about actually around the time that the book came out and i'm not it's not about it wasn't about the book it was more about um yeah it being that far ago and that and that's not to say that i've i i think i've um you know every person that has come to me has had you know amazing tremendous success i just think the people that have invariably come to me it's been sort of a self-selection bias um have Read the material and and kind of understand implicitly like what value I provide. So, you know, there was sort of a kind of simpatico thing going on from the beginning, but within the people that were in that spectrum and that had deeper issues, yeah, I've I've referred lots of clients to therapists and 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 kind of looked at that as a, a bit of a um, you know uh, uh, a value added. I mean, there are certain things that I could do but don't want to, and there are certain things that others are are true like trauma specialists. Right. I I am trained in certain trauma therapies and have kind of integrated them in a, a, you know, a more like kind of performance based way for some people, you know, because here's like a here's a a kind of a poker version of trauma would be like uh, you are, you know, bubbling the final table of a massive event. You make a massive mistake, you know, with four left, uh, you know, and you were chip leader. And then, uh, you know, all of a sudden then you go out and forth. Right. There are some big, big situations that poker players have been through. That that are scarring and they 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 stick with you, you know, uh, it, days where you know you have this like kind of massive desperation tilt, right, and you uh, blow seventy percent of your bankroll and and now kind of struggling and what you're gonna do? It's um, a source you know,
0: these, spot, Jared, source no. <laughs> <I'm kidding. laughs>
1: well, these I mean, these and so the thing is like these things can be scarring, and when I say scarring, what what that means is that then your mentality is affected, you know, kind of onto the future. So. Mm-hmm. The poker traumas I can deal with. The personal traumas, uh, you know, I, I refer out and 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 listen. It happens. I think there's a lot of people out there who, you know, I'll I'll, I'll give you like a very kind of quick way to recognize whether you have poker or personal trauma, because um, I think it's an important one for people to know about. Okay, memory is supposed to be stored in a very kind of pragmatic, non-emotional way over the long term. Okay, so you might have a memory. Okay, so I'll, I'll give the, the the example that I use with my clients. Okay. I'm 12 years old. Um, I was a big tennis player back then too. And I had a gorgeous Agassi mullet. Okay. <laughs>
0: you know,
1: short on the side, spike in the front, and then just shh, party in the back. Yep. Um, but, you know, for my father, that was not the most appropriate haircut, you know, prior to your bar mitzvah. Sure. So, so he, you know, kind of forced me to get a haircut. And for me, that was traumatizing. Right. Like, and, and so my point is that um, I knew it was, A marker for trauma because in my early twenties, when I would think back to that, you know, I would get emotional, right? I would feel the same kind of pain. It's not, you know, you know that a a memory is resolved if you think back to it and you can remember how you felt, but you don't actually feel it now, right? So you think about, you know, that big poker mistake that you made, you know, uh, or or a a big fold. You're right. You you make this. What you think is a massive fold and you get shown a bluff Mm -hmm. and and the pain of that just sticks with you, right? So years later, you still think about that and you feel the same pain that you did in that moment. That is a marker for trauma, big or small, right? But if you remember it and you remember it sucking or, you know, you remember celebrating whatever, but you don't actually feel it, then you know that 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 situation has been kind of firmly moved on and resolved from. So big or small, that stuff can affect you.
0: Yeah. Well, un- unlike Mr. Agassi, you are not follically challenged at this stage of your life. Some more power to. you. Um, that was a big revelation in his book. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Um, do you I imagine, uh, you know, when you have a book which is meant for, you know, sort of the mass market, you know, at, at a pricing point for recreational players as well. One on one coaching services is not necessarily something that your typical recreational player would engage in. That's my assumption. I don't like assuming, but would it be fair to say that the overwhelming majority of people who approach you are professionals? And then do you you ever get approached by recreationals? Uh,
1: Yes and yes. Um, So Mm -hmm. overwhelming majority are professionals. But yeah, I still work with some recreational players. But I do make some kind of several, you know, kind of asterisks on that. Mm -hmm. Um, They have to um, either, like their their goal is either um, that that they're profitable in the games that they play in Right. They, they don't have to play all the time. But but I don't want people to ever think that, like, the mental game is a solution to just being bad at poker.
0: Oh, right. And I don't okay.
1: want that delusion to kind of live on, you know, and, and it's, you know, the same. I don't know that I make it super clear in the in the poker book, but I definitely make it very clear in the trading book, mm-hmm. you know, that that this book is designed for people who either have an edge or know that their strategy or system is such that, you know, if their mental game issues were solved, that they would have one. Got it. Uh, because I think sometimes, and it's true in golf too, right? The, the the importance of the mental game is sort of overplayed at times, and and you know, I can't. I, there's a reason that Dalai Lama is not a good golfer, because right? <laughs> you need to have skills. right? You can't have you know your mind be the thing that that is. It. So it's not it's not entirely a mental game. Okay. Um, now that's one. Two. The other thing is that that I try to link their improvement to something outside of poker. So. You know, I work with, um, you know, a lawyer or a doctor or, you know, some sort of professional. And and we just sort of like look at the parallels between because what what, it, what is very, very true for recreational players is that the issues that they experience within poker, I mean, with very, very high frequency, they also exist somewhere else in their lives. Right. Right. Poker players who are professionals that have played the game for years, they have kind of weeded out the influence of their personal lives for the most part in the game, and that's not to say it's it's exclusive, but by and large, the performance issues that are discussed in the book mm-hmm. take care of a, a vast majority of the performance-based problems that exist when they go play. That's not the case for recreational players because they haven't played enough, right? Okay. They haven't been able to have their strategy provide buffer against that. So you sort of see this parallel between the two.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And and yeah, to me, that, that kind of cross-training is really what is exciting and intriguing to me and then makes it such that if you continue to suck as a poker player, you know, then it's fine. If you're also improving your life, I'm willing to do that kind of work. Um, I'm not willing to make people delusional. And I've, I've actually, you know, stopped working with, with a couple who I was like, you, you are, you know, there's one in particular who wanted to be a professional and he just was not, I, I mean, it wasn't like I was assessing his poker competence. Sure. But the way he, were, he was talking, it was very clear that this was not a guy that was was going to be do right by his family uh-huh. to make a go as a professional poker player. Unfortunately, uh-huh. he heeded my advice and you know went back to his job. Oh, or good
0: for you! There, it. So it's important yeah. to give uh, it's important to give the the good life advice as well. Um, and you clearly you clearly work you know with poker players, with golfers, still with esports, doctors, lawyers, you know people from all sorts of strata. Um, is there, are there any sort of, a, you know we always say, you know, you got to change gears a lot in poker, depending on who you're facing at the felt. Do you kind of have to like make uh, certain types of, of adjustments depending on the type of professional uh, who is seeking your advice? Not
1: necessarily. And I think um, if the, the adjustment generally just kind of comes from um, who, who am I, like what, how does this person kind of tick and how much can I push them? right? The more serious the player is and true. And this is true with the, you know, I've got a couple PGA tour players. I can't name the names, but one is a guy that wants to be one of the best in the world. The other is one that wants to be really good. Right. And there's just like a different level with which I can push mm. based on their goals. And that's the same, you know, with with certain poker players, right. Um, with, with different, uh, walks of life. So it, it's, it's more of the, like, how well do I understand what they want and and need for me? Because if I give them sort of advice that that is a bit too um, uh, big for their aspirations, right. they're just not going to get there, right? Sure. So for me, it's it is inchworm methodology. What's going to allow them to take the next step, mm. and that next step is different based on what your what your goals
0: are. I love it. All right. Well, you've made it through the gauntlet. It's time to promote <laughs> the mental the mental book of trading. Uh, what was your inspiration to write a, a new book specifically in this niche? So. Uh, for those that know my second
1: book, um, there's a concept called bloated brain. Mm-hmm. And bloated brain is when you're sort of just consuming so much information um, that it actually prevents you from being in the zone um, and right. prevents you from performing at a high level or from continuing to learn at a high level. Um, so one of my motivations was to alleviate my own bloated brain because at oh. the time I started working on the book had been seven years, I guess, technically six years from uh, the beginning. Um, okay. Seven years from writing the first book. but. You know the first book and the second book were kind of written, you know, very close together. So
0: kind of like the mark. It had been series. a long time since you know? I, I had written. And <laughs> right. and
1: just like I am constantly learning and absorbing a ton of information.
0: Mm.
1: And I just hadn't like I need to consolidate and and crystallize that con that information into some sort of usable content. Okay. Um and so yeah, it took me three years to to work through all of it. Um part of that was just uh, timing, but um you know, it, it, there was just so much material that I had to kind of wade through. So, so that was one motivation. The other was, you know, the, the interest in, in kind of just moving into a new market and, you know, the trading world is massive. Um, there were a lot of traders that had, you know, picked up the poker book and just said, Hey, change the word poker to trading. You've got yourself a book. And I was uh-huh. like, well, that seems like cheating. Um, <laughs> so I'm not going to do that. Um, and, and so then, you know, I had to kind of do a similar, you know, kind of diving into. And I also, you know, I'd work with, you know, traders started coming up as clients. I started working with some institutional, you know, firms that were, you know, had a desk of, you know, 40 traders, things of that sort. So I knew that that the poker-based content and material and system that was honed there, you know, applied in trading, you know, just kind of given some adjustments. So, you know, that was a big motivation. I'd say, you know, the outcome has been that my system has become more systematized, right? So what started in, but the poker book has now kind of gone to another level. It's not to say that, you know, the material in the poker book is is outdated. All of it is still very relevant. You know, what what exists now in the trading book is just, you know, kind of every problem is sort of described in more detail. Okay. Um, the system has a more f- sort of uh, formulaic flow to it. I think, you know, the, the poker book, um, yeah, listen, my intent was to make you feel like you were a client. You know, you would feel more like a client with this oh. one. You'll feel like you get more content. Um, you know, the, the process of, of getting to resolution is made more efficient, um, dealing with more of the trouble spots, because now I've had roughly 10 years of experience right. helping people kind of work through and troubleshoot those, those problems of like what typically happens. I mean, you know, I'd say the, the funniest one is, uh, you know, you take a person with high expectations, um, they may become very clear about what their strategy is for correcting their high expectations. But what I found early on was that they actually needed to use that for their, their their learning process, right? Because they would have very high expectations for how quickly they were gonna correct their high expectations. Right, okay. So, yeah. so you know, makes it's just sense. like s- subtle stuff like that, that, you know, just kind of makes the improvement or learning process a bit more efficient. Um, so all that content was was kind of crystallized.
0: Gotcha. Who, who would you say is um, the main target audience for this book? Is it, you know, bunches of folks on on Wall Street or is it also just, you know, you're some, you know, someone like me who's got a, you know a couple hundred bucks on trade?
1: Yeah. I mean, so you would be kind of the, the, the trading fish, right? Uh, So (laughs) there's a, there's a difference between investors and traders. So traders are much more like the poker players. Investors still have emotional issues in their own right. Mm -hmm. You know, but the difficulty is like, how do you know that what you're experiencing is a true kind of mental game issue? Mm -hmm. um, And how much is it just a function of, of your inexperience? Cause there's, um, you know, like, so in poker, tilt was like kind of the big theme and topic. Um, in trading, fear is almost the thing that's sort of equal to that. Oh. Where everybody thought, "Oh, well, you've got you know uh, you know anything less than playing your best is tilt in poker," and and it's like greed and fear are kind of the, the two big terms in in, in trading. Um, but you know, I start the, the the fear chapter with the story of a client who um, very very quickly he solved all of his fear issues by realizing that for him right now, he just wasn't that good, Okay. <laughs> uh, right? That, that, that <laughs> the, the, the hesitation and, and the risk aversion and the second guessing that he would experience at the time that he had to make a trading decision mm-hmm. was due to the fact that he had all these unanswered questions and his, tra- his strategy was just not tight enough. So for him, trading was actually 90% technical and 10% mental at that particular time. Uh-huh. And that is what helped them get, to get over the hump. So if you're a retail investor who's not really making a lot of trading decisions very frequently, you don't really have a robust strategy. So you're not really kind of, you don't have the ability to kind of firmly gauge whether what you're experiencing is truly a mental game issue or whether it's a, a signal of a lack of a strategy altogether.
0: Okay. So
1: I'd say, you know, in large measure, the book is designed to help, you know, people who are, are Either actively investing, actively trading, have a strategy, have some kind of uh, you know system that they're using, so that they can you know work their way through it. I mean, it, anybody beyond that is going to be somebody who's going to still need to improve their mental game in some way. I mean, listen, I think I do think poker players will benefit if you've if you like the first poker book and you want you know kind of updated content, cool. Um, you know, if you never read the first poker book, maybe get both. Although, I mean. I don't know. That might be a lot to ask, but anyway, <laughs> yeah. You know, the point is, like, you need to have some kind of a of, of a uh, a performance arena where you're going to take the material and apply it, where, where you know that you're good enough uh, in order to gauge whether it's because you suck or whether you, um, you know, your mental game is really the thing that's that's holding you back.
0: Holding well, you back. like a like a good chess player you predicted my next move because that was going to be my question Um, so i will move on to my last question before we get into the community questions for you jared Um, in poker everyone loves to tell bad beat stories but no one really has the patience to hear them i imagine that you may probably hear more than your fair share of, of bad beat or bad beat like stories from your clients has there ever been anything that one of your clients has told you that kind of like throws you off your professional balance and kind of just makes you like laugh out loud or like this is what they're complaining about or something like that?
1: You know, it's funny. I, um, I've i learned the art of, of tuning them out. Um, hmm. So, you know, when somebody starts telling me a bad beat story, I either will stop them or I will pay attention to the one or key, two key key things that I need to know. So some, some clients I can cut off, you know, easily others, they need to kind of get their crazy out in order for me to be able to have an impact. <laughs> um, so once I get those like one or two nuggets, you know, I'll kind of just like go into like another world for like five minutes. And then once they stop talking, uh, then I will just sort of, um, you know, uh, fire that bullet and, and, you know off we go so no i don't remember any of them um, and that's that's on purpose
0: that was a very professionally handled question and i mean that (laughs) in the most uh, genuine way possible um we have now moved on to the segment of our show where we turn to you guys our cards chat community to see what questions you wanted to ask our guests we have a dedicated thread on the cards chat forums where we announce who the next guest will be uh giving you guys the opportunity to send in your questions so be sure to keep an eye out for that debbie always lets you know okay there's going to be another guest and jared's coming on uh, send in your questions. So first off, thanks to Freddie Dr87 for sending in this good one. Um, Freddie asks, "What can I do to avoid tilt? I'm able to identify it, but I can't handle it."
1: So we're talking short term, long term. Okay. If you're going to avoid tilt, you need to know not just like when it shows up and and recognize the signals of it. You need to know you need to know why it's happening right? You know, is it due to a run bad, right? Or is, is tilt happening in periods where you're just getting high concentration of bad luck and, and and struggling to deal with that? Is it due to your hatred of losing? Is it due to a sense of injustice? Is it due to your own mistakes? Is it due to your opponents putting you on, you know, in very difficult spots and turns into some revenge? Do you have the classic Phil Hellmuth entitlement tilt, right? what What is the cause of it, right? And so that that next layer of questioning, which, you know, uh, Robbie and I spoke about earlier, just asking that question. Why? Okay. In those key moments, you can start asking yourself, why am I pissed off? And then from there you get an answer, you know, in the trading uh, in the poker in the trading book, I use a tool called the mental hand history. The mental hand history is, is sort of my kind of poker equivalent to, you know, reviewing a, 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 an actual hand history of a. Um, and, and what we're doing is, is not reviewing the hand per se, but we're going through these sequential steps to try to actually get to the root of the problem, Okay, And step one is to describe the problem. That's your answer to the question of why, Uh okay? Step two is why does it make sense that you would think, feel, or react that way? And this is a very important question to ask when you're dealing with tilt or any other emotional issue because for many players, they feel like their reaction is irrational, illogical, (sighs) wrong, right? And it's not, right? Everything happens in the mental game for logical and predictable reasons. The reason it feels illogical is because you don't yet know the reason. And the key word there is yet. So you gotta do a little bit more discovery, uncovering and figuring out why, you know, you actually think or feel that way. And then step three is to get to the flaw. Why is that logic flawed? And that's kind of the crux of the, of, of the answer. So, you know, the, the poker book, the trading book, they were designed for you to go through and figure out, ah, okay, I'm dealing with injustice tilt here are some descriptions, you know, different types of underlying flaws that exist. It's designed to help you fill out the mental hand history so you can get to the root of the issue. So, you know, how are you going to actually avoid tilt? You gotta understand it. And if you don't understand it, then then your best bet at that point is just, uh, you know, pure uh, mental distraction and that's not really an answer.
0: Okay. That's fair. It's very, very, I think that's going to help Freddie DR 87, uh, with that, with their uh, question there, uh, crystals, C R S T A L S. Thanks so much crystals for submitting this one. Um, who are more challenging people to coach pro athletes or pro poker players?
1: You know, it's, it's not about the the environment. It's about like their makeup. Um, Hmm. you know, I I, poker player, poker players, um, by and large, like that have come to me are willing to do the work. Um and maybe it's because they read my poker book. Uh maybe it's just because, you know, they know that they can't just like buy new clubs. It's a lot harder to practice, right? There's like fewer options to get better in poker than there are in golf. So yeah, I'd say on a whole, um one of the one of the reasons why I was excited to get into poker was because I was struggling to break through in golf. And and the reason is because the industry as a whole makes people feel more overconfident than they are huh. uh, or sort makes them feel overconfident. And and so as a result of that, they're, they're a bit more kind of defiant and, and less willing to do the work. Um, and that honestly has been true of, of even, you know, PGA tour players, uh, huh. um, kind of set in their ways, um, not really willing to do uh, the necessary things to, to actually get that resolution. So if I were to say like kind of apples to apples, you know, poker player to golfer, um, you know, the, the poker players have been more fun to work with.
0: Okay. No, I'm I'm, as the, uh, I don't know how many golfers are tuning into this one, but I don't know that they necessarily take offense to that because that's kind of like a backhanded compliment in a way. They've got that, that ferocity a little bit more sometimes. Um, Second question from crystals. um, What do you recommend for amateur poker players to focus on to gain success?
1: I think you cut out for one second, so just oh, okay. So, ask the it
0: So, it's um second question from crystals is what do you recommend for amateur poker players to focus on to gain success? And and I would sort of like even qualify this question is like, typically amateur players are certainly not putting as much time in the lab or something like that to get better like the pros are. So, I suppose if your approach is going to remain amateur, what would you recommend uh, that they focus on?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think first and foremost, you, you, it's, it's very simple to work on your own weaknesses. Like they tend, you tend to be able to know where you're making mistakes. Now, that doesn't mean that, you know, the mistakes that a better player would be able to see in your game, but you know, I would just continually identify where you make mistakes that you know are mistakes. It's like the low hanging fruit. It's, it's easy to kind of work on. And I'm not not saying this from a mental standpoint, I'm just saying it from a pure tactical standpoint, you know, know what they are, have them written down, and go, you know, to the casino. Go to play these games, with the idea in your mind that your your number one job is to avoid those mistakes.
0: Mm.
1: And if you do that, you're just going to play better. Um, you're going to have something in your mind to kind of keep you more focused. Uh, so from a mental standpoint, there's 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 value there. Um, and then if you do make those mistakes again, don't be hard on yourself, right? Understand that they're that you're not you don't have the time to like very rapidly get rid of them. But you know, time after time, if you are more aware and more tuned. in, then it will be easier for you to learn more about how or why you're making that mistake, um, and sometimes there may be a, a, an emotional issue kind of attached to it, right? And that might be an, a, a simple next thing you could work on. So maybe you are making mistakes where you're, you know, you're more likely to make them when you're a little bit frustrated, or you know, maybe when there's more more money in the pot and a little bit of fear kind of kicks in, and, and that causes a small breakdown. So then you can kind of do a little bit of work on both sides, um, you know. But by and large. If you're willing to do that work, it means that you care enough to want to get better. Um, and if you are in cards chat, you're 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 not just there to play just because you love the game, right? You do want to get better, and yep. I think those are two simple ways to get better.
0: Yep, uh, w- well put. Uh, we've got one final question here. We've always saved the the most interesting or creative one for last. So, and, and your fair warning here, Jared, this one's a bit of a doozy from Acid Burn FX. Always ask some really interesting questions.
1: All right, bring it on me.
0: What, on me. What last words would you like to share at the end of your existence?
1: I guess it would be this, to stay focused on resolution. Oh. Um, I think if there was one thing that I accomplished in this lifetime, it's that, um, you know, people have set their sights too low, in my opinion. And it's not that complicated to aspire towards actual problem solving of these mental and emotional issues, whether they're in the scope of poker, in trading, or in your personal life, right? That when you take a problem solving, Approach, right? And not just a continual kind of management of your own issues, it's transformational, right? Like when, when you stop having those like knee jerk reactions to have negative thoughts or to react with fear or to react with anger or to lose confidence or to, you know, inflate your ego and, and get too kind of high on yourself, when you automatically don't have those reactions, you are freed up in ways that cannot be completely described until you're on that side. Um, So, you know, I I think a lot of people in all walks of life and all, you know, both within the game and outside of it, you know, kind of struggle with our own kind of emotional baggage. And, and, you know, it's a, it's a burden that does not have to be there. Right. So it's one of these things like, you know, short-term pain, long-term benefit or long-term pain, you know, in smaller ways, like when you're having to continually be undermined by this stuff over, over a long period of time, how much value is sucked out of your life? How much joy and happiness is, is sucked out of your life? How much, you know, accomplishment and performance is sucked out of your, your game because you're not resolving your issues, um, your problems. So yeah, it's, it's not complicated. It's hard in the short term. That is, that is a fact. You have to work at it. Um, the analogy that I, I, I give now is like chopping down a tree um, at the beginning, you get a blunt axe and you are weak, right? But over over time, as you understand the reason for why it occurs, uh, the correction to that flawed logic, your axe gets sharper and you start wielding it in these key moments and you get stronger over time and eventually you can chop down that tree and reach resolution. You do not get a chainsaw here, right? So yeah, short-term pain short-term hard work for massive long-term benefit that in some respects is is kind of hard to really kind of comprehend. So yeah, my my closing epitaph would be, um, you know, resolve your shit.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, I, this last hour has been exceptionally enjoyable for me and I'm sure for all of our listeners and people watching. But dare I say that if you had only tuned in for the last three or four minutes, Uh, it would have been worth it on its own. Um, To everyone who sent in the questions for Jared Tendler, uh, just a friendly reminder that, uh, you know, here in the Cards Chat community, we give you the opportunity to do that, to engage directly with our guests. So if you want to submit your questions for future podcast guests, you can do so in the dedicated thread on the forums. And of course, we always ask if you like the show, please be sure to give us a good review on iTunes and spread the word via your social media channels. Jared, before we let you go, anything else you'd like to tell our listeners?
1: No, listen, I, I I'll say it one more time. You know, do the work, enjoy yourselves, um, but yeah, just stay dedicated towards towards your own um, personal best. That that's I think whatever um, whatever level of the game you are at, um, you know, when you when you stay motivated towards um, achieving your own personal greatness, um, you know, great things happen. So yeah, and if, if, if people are interested in getting the the poker book, obviously, it's still available everywhere. You know, audiobook, ebook, uh, soft cover, and and the trading book is is everywhere now. By the I think, by the time this gets released, uh, the audiobook may be out. It's already, it's uploaded and ready to um, you know be released at any moment. So it may be out by the time this podcast comes out. If not, it will be you know kind of imminent. Um, but I, you know, I, like I said, you know, the the, the poker book is still um, something that I'm very proud of. Uh, the trading book just kind of takes it a step farther.
0: And after listening to these uh, dulcet tones for the last hour, who wouldn't want to hear you more on the audiobook as well? Uh, Jared, thank you again so much. Everyone, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Cards Chat podcast. I'm Robbie Straczynski. You can follow me on, on Twitter at Card Player Life. And I wish you all a wonderful day. Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town from the world's number one poker community.